we try to reach out to these people. Somebody got to love them. Yep. People walking by them, you know, yeah, they smell. Yeah, they stink. They're, you know, they're people just but like us. They're people. That's Beverly Stevenson, an ambassador for Miracle Messages, a nonprofit that tries to connect homeless people with their loved ones back home via social media videos. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and this is San Francisco City Insider. I went for a walk with Beverly and other Miracle Messages staff around Union Square and Market Street the other day and saw their work up close. At Everybody. one time, we stopped and tell them, hey, we're concerned about you. You matter to uh, Miracle Messages. They whole face light up. It might just take that one time to get them back in spark and in line where they need to be with their family. Mm-hmm. Miracle Messages was the brainchild of Kevin Adler, who grew up with a homeless uncle coming in and out of his family's life. After our walk, I sat down for an interview with Kevin back at the Chronicle. He described how the nonprofit came to be and some of its successes and failures so far. We'll have that interview and more sound from our walk coming up next on San Francisco City Insider. Welcome back to San Francisco City Insider. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Miracle Messages founder, Kevin Adler. So I love your shirt. Uh, Tell me what it says and kind of the background. Yeah, so the shirt says, everyone is someone, somebody. Uh, And, you know, really the background for it was we were thinking about what's a mantra that encapsulates what we're trying to do uh, as as an organization. Um, And, you know, we realized that one of the quickest ways to build empathy for someone else is to see them as someone's son or daughter. You know, whether it's a college student on a campus, thinking about the person they're going out on a date with that night, whether it's someone that you don't like in the work environment, you're like, hey, this is a mom, this is a brother, this is a son. And uh, and we've really clung to that. Uh, sometimes people say, well, I don't have anyone. And then that raises the question of, well, how can they be someone special to us and to our mm-hmm. ambassadors? And so That's everyone sweet. is someone, somebody. Yeah. And you said you get a lot of comments when you're wearing it. People like the shirt. <laughs> I, I, people don't usually look and say, hey, Kevin, nice clothes, right? Like that's not my my usual response. But yeah, I'll go walking around the streets and people are like, hey, I like your shirt or I love that message. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Good so, way to make friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I understand that Miracle Messages had its roots in a relative of yours, your uncle, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that, him and that story and how this idea came to you? Yeah. So uh, my uncle Mark um, you know, was my dad's younger brother. Um, and uh, when he was 18 or 19, uh, developed uh, schizophrenia. And uh, he would live most of his life 30 years on and off the streets in Santa Cruz. Um, but you know, I didn't ever look at him as a homeless man. I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't see that side of his life. Uh, he'd come over at Thanksgiving and Christmas. We'd have dinner. We, he'd bring a gift always, give me a card for my birthday. Just a really loving uncle. And so it wasn't until after he passed away, um, and, and really when I visited his gravesite after a number of years with my dad, just started having a conversation of what Mark's life was like when he wasn't uh, at our home, when we'd drop him back at the Greyhound station, when he'd go back to the transitional house, and then maybe do something disruptive three or six months later and disappear for six months. Um, and so it initially started with uh, you know, having this conversation of, well, what's the process of 
memorializing a person or telling their story. You know, and here we were at the gravesite. We visited once in 10 years since he passed away. Didn't really tell all the quirky things about Mark that he loved burritos. Uh, you know, he was always looking for more uh, Thanksgiving, you know, food that he sent me an eagle bandana on my birthday because he knew I was like pretty patriotic. Um, and, and yet I'd go back in my car and pull out my smartphone and see status updates from friends, acquaintances on social media. And so the question just became, well, how could we use these storytelling tools for people like my uncle Mark? Um, and initially there was a project through my church uh, called Who is Jesus? And we kind of had to answer that question with some kind of art form. And so a lot of people are like singing songs. A lot of people were like drawing pictures. I'm like, this is not my offering, trust me. <laughs> uh, but I like technology and I like using tools for storytelling. Uh, how, would, how would Jesus use a smartphone or a wearable camera? And uh, the response was initially creating an organization that helped people experiencing homelessness wear GoPro cameras and narrate their experiences. Um, and over the course of a year, 24 individuals wore cameras, uh, never had a single camera lost or stolen. And I get asked that all the time, which I think is interesting. Uh -huh. And I get the footage back. And in one of the clips, uh, hundreds of hours of footage, just like, you know, shocking stuff. I heard someone say, I never realized I was homeless when I lost my housing only when I lost my family and friends. Hmm. And that angle made sense to me, but I had never heard that articulated by a service provider, by the city, by anyone. And so fast forward to the beginning of Miracle Messages, um, December 2014. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what's kind of the future with the work I'm doing. And, you know, I was working in ed tech before that and kind of things weren't going super well. And you know, I wasn't sure with this wearable camera, like where that was going to go. Kind of had a falling out with, you know, my colleague. And I just remembered that phrase, like, you know, about family and friends. And so I took a walk down Market Street and went up to every single person I met um, and asked them, uh, do you have any family or friends you'd like to reconnect with, even if you don't know how to reach them? And within a few minutes, uh, met a guy named Jeffrey. He said he hadn't seen his family in over 22 years. Uh, recorded a short video on the spot, uh, go home that night and uh, found a Facebook group connected to his hometown. And so went and posted the video there after kind of sitting on it for a few more days. Like I was anxious about it. I said, I don't know if this guy's telling me the truth. I don't want to cause problems. Like I wasn't coming with this uh, desire, of, uh, this conviction that this is the way to do it. And uh, I posted the video almost apologetically. And what happened next was just a a, really a miracle, uh, is that hundreds of people started commenting, liking, sharing the post. You know, hey, I went to high school with Jeffrey. Um, we grew up together. I work in construction. Does he need a job? You know, yeah. I work at the congressman's office. Does he need health care? And in the first 20 minutes of the post, his sister got tagged. We got on the phone the next day, and she said, Jeffrey has been a missing person for 12 years. Wow. And this was in front of the old Navy flagship store, San Francisco, mm -hmm. a couple of days before Christmas. And so that's when I kind of quit my job. It clicked for you, yeah. Started doing this full time. I want to take a break here for some sound of Kevin talking to a homeless man in Union Square. The sound isn't great because we were keeping our distance while the two men chatted. Yeah, yeah my uncle was homeless for like 30 years, so I kind of started it in honor. Yeah, what was your name, man? Hey, yeah, Kevin. Been out here for a while? Yeah. Years. From, from San Francisco or? Oh, what part? Oh, yeah. My dad's in Chicago. So, how many people have you matched 
uh, since then? Just short of 200 people. Yeah, so we've recorded about 700, 715 uh-huh. messages, uh-huh. Uh, delivered about half of them, mm-hmm. uh, and then 200 reunions have resulted. The, the biggest reason for the disconnect between the 350 deliveries and the you know 195 reunions is we can't find the person, uh, the client again. Uh, oh. So we find the family. Oh, no. 80 to 90% of the time, they're excited to reconnect when we reach them. Uh-huh. And then we we can't find the client again. Oh, that yeah. must be sad for the family. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's really frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And we get, uh, as I was mentioning to you uh, while we were walking, uh, we have one or two families every single day reaching out to us saying, can you help me find my homeless relative? Uh, they're in San Francisco. They're in Denver. They're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Here's their information. I don't know where else to turn. Do you have success when it's that route? It's a needle in a haystack, yeah. and the approach has to be, you know, pretty drastically different. Um, we're we're in the new year. We, we've had about 110, 115 messages come in that way. Um, what we're starting to do is creating uh, missing person flyers, uh, what's called bolos, like be on the lookouts, mm. uh, sharing that with different partner sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to capture videos from those families. Uh, speaking to their loved ones in the same way that we invite our neighbors experiencing homelessness to speak to their families. What would you want to say? And we're sharing those videos, you know, kind of with a hashtag, um, who are they, right? We're walking by people every day. Who are the, who are they that you're Mm -hmm. walking by? So there's kind of a empathy awareness building. Uh, There's the flyers. And then we're also building um, an accessible uh, database where people can go in search for a loved one and see if there's a match mm-hmm. uh, with, with the people that are in their, uh, you know, their organization. And in like one minute, can you describe your favorite story, your favorite reunification? Do you have one that stands out for you as the best? Um, we, we had a recent one that was pretty beautiful. Uh, there's a guy named Greg and he hadn't seen uh, his family in 20 years. When we first met him, he saw our shirts. We were walking down the street. He's like, hey, cool shirt. Like, I told you that yeah. happens, right? So he says, cool shirt. And then he asks, what, uh, what's miracle, you know, what's miracle messages? We start telling him and he starts crying. Aww. You know, he's just moved by the story, the meaning of it. And we kind of said our goodbyes. He said at the time he didn't have anyone that he thought of right away. Uh, but he ended up, uh, you know, a couple months later, bumping into us, some of our community ambassadors. And he said, hey, you know what? Actually, you inspired me. Like, I haven't I've been in touch with my my favorite niece. And we were very close. And it's been 20 years now. And so he sat down, recorded a video, very heartfelt, uh, to his niece. Uh, we found the niece uh, in, you know, short amount of time. And, uh, and then we were able to get him on a bus and return home. And there was this heartfelt moment when he was with one of our community ambassadors, Brian, where um, you know, we had given him a, a little uh, key that has the word neighbor on it. You know? And like, whether we find the niece or not, you're a neighbor to us, you're mm-hmm. part of our you know, community. And Brian pulled his out and they're like, hey, we're key buddies. It's <laughs> a sweet little moment. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, that was just a couple months ago. So that wow. one's kind of top of mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And have you ever had a reunification gone bad? Because I know there are some, probably many homeless people in the city who are estranged from their family for good reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's many people who we offer this to where the work, it would be totally inappropriate. Uh, so I start with that. Like, you know, as I was mentioning, you know, half of the youth on the streets, LGBTQ, many of them are kicked out of their households. Um, you know, women who are fleeing some kind of domestic violence situation. Uh, we do find that 
making the offer is usually um, you know not enough to like really trigger something. Like it's kind of saying to someone who's maybe severely depressed, like, "Are you suicidal?" Mm. Like the the risk of planting an idea versus the potential benefit of intervening it's far outweighed, right? Right. Um, but in reunions, you know, we do find that there's kind of a, uh, most reunions are, are pretty positive. We've had a few where maybe there's expectations that were very da- uh, varying quite a bit. Mm-hmm. There's one, if you know, to share a story uh, from Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, of a guy named Dale. Uh, he was in a wheelchair when we met him, uh, had really lost the will to live, and mm-hmm. he said he'd been on the streets for like 25, 30 years. So he records a message to two sisters. Uh, I go, and we actually found both of the sisters, and both of them were like, we don't want anything to do with him. There's a whole lot of bad blood. And we said, okay, you, you know the story. You know, this is fine. But out of the blue, there was a third sister who he hadn't mentioned who got wind of the fact that he had recorded a video. And she's like, oh, my God, Dale's my brother. I miss him. I love him so much. I'd love to reconnect. And so he moves home and, and lives with them, um, and they're sending photos where he's walking around, he's clean wow. shaven, he's happy, like it's just beautiful. Uh, but he also struggled with alcoholism, mm-hmm. right? And started getting back into drinking. And, you know, especially at that time, this is three years ago, we did not have the wherewithal of like, okay, are there other service providers? Would they be willing to help? What's a post reunion support strategy look mm-hmm. like? All that, even if it's just the questions and, and kind of prompting the families. And, you know, he started drinking and, you know, his sister uh, was just like, this is not a safe environment for me to be raising my daughter in, right, with this guy. So she had to ask him to leave. He left. And, uh, you know, a month or two later, he was found, you know, uh, deceased you oh, know, on the streets. Oh, my gosh. And I, and I kind of carry that story with me because, you know, I, I know, like, when I talk to the sister, she's like, you gave us a gift. Like we got a chance to reconnect for mm-hmm. a couple months. I would have never had that. We would have never known where he was. We had closure. We had a chance. The daughter had a chance to meet an uncle. But you know these situations are so complex, and we yeah. can't do it alone. And I just kind of hold that one as a reminder that we have to be able to work with different agencies, partners, cities um, to to provide this entire person care that that we all need. I want to interrupt the interview again to play some sound of Miracle Messages ambassador Beverly Stevenson talking to a man who goes by NATO. He was hanging out with friends on Market Street and had just been released from jail the night before. NATO gave us permission to record the exchange, but a warning that he does have a propensity for dropping the F-bomb. You want to do a video with your mom to do your face? You can send her a message straight to her. Mm. I don't look fucked up right now, do I? No, you're good. I just got out of jail last night. I'm, I'm actually clean for the first time in like. Fucking... But you heard son. Yeah. Mothers love their kids. No matter how you look, you look beautiful yeah. to your mom. You understand? Yeah, yeah. You want to do a video right quick? Well, yeah, I'll make yeah, sure yeah. Up. Hey, B. Uh, hey, mom. Um, I just got out of jail last night, and uh, these people just came up to me on the street, and um, yeah, I just wanted to say hi and whatnot. Um, I'm actually clean and sober right now, talking to you for the first time in about, uh, I don't know, like 10 years. So, uh, I just wanted to say hi and I love you and um, hopefully maybe uh, you can see in your heart to let me back, uh, come back to New Jersey for a little bit, maybe take a flight home or something like that. Um, but yeah, I just want to say hi and I love you and um, I miss you very much. Thank you guys. Go ahead, man. Look at me. You're my brother. It was hard not to go out and put you my family. Okay. You take care. Watch how fast she becomes responding to you, okay? Yeah. 
You take it one day at a time. Right? Wrong one building a day. Thank you guys very much. Take a step. Have another hug. It didn't happen by accident that we ran into a trailer, you know? Exactly. I didn't just get out of jail last night. I'm going to come back and see you again. And you were telling me um, that you've been trying for several years to get the city to ask homeless people in its intake process if there's a relative or friend they want to be connected with, but they're still not asking that question. It seems like such a basic question I'm surprised they weren't asking already. Can you talk about that and Absolutely. Sure. So we would love to have, uh, you know, every service provider, but we've been trying with the city particularly uh, to add a question to their intake process along the lines of, do you have any family or friends you'd like to reconnect with, even if you don't know how to reach them? Uh, The closest version of that that exists right now is kind of emergency contact. Uh Um, But that requires a huge amount of back information and you know you establish contact you know the number you know that they're willing to be reached in the event of whatever uh we find that by asking a question like do you have any family or friends you want to reconnect with uh it opens up the door to a sense of possibility and even if the individual you know organization or the caseworker or social worker doesn't have the bandwidth to do anything directly with that information an outside referral where we have now over a thousand volunteer digital detectives, people who have sometimes retired as private investigators oh, wow. who go online anytime a message come in and start doing the detective work. Uh, the resistance that we've experienced has been frustrating. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, statements like, you know, uh, uh, there's many questions from many organizations that are suggested every year. Uh, we have a, due diligence process. It would take a year or two of investigation and research and study to know the implications of this question. If we put this question on, there's already a lot of questions, so do we take another one off? Um, It would look like we're favoring one type of intervention over another or one organization over another. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm coming from the ed tech space, you know, kind of the Silicon Valley social entrepreneur mindset. Like, I'm just like, guys, pick one site pick two sites and add the question and see what happens. Uh, and if we get one or two reunions from that, it will all have been worth it, it seems right. like. Uh, and, and I think the, the last piece I just mentioned on that is, you know, when we've worked with the city, when we kind of talk about the work that we're doing and they say, you know, they're asked, uh, is this important? There's, it's always, you know, kind of given a thumbs up in terms of, hey, this is a great way for everyday individuals and citizens to make a difference in their community, right? You can you know, hand out food, you can help out with showers and that, or you can talk to people about their loved ones. And that's a great addition of like a, a, a toolkit, right? Um, success for us is even if you get one person reunited with their loved ones, it will all have been worth it. And we're saying, hey, we've reunited nearly 200 people now totally outside of most of like any formal operation. I mean, you saw it today, we're mm-hmm. walking the streets with formerly homeless community ambassadors. So if we can add a question into an intake process, see how it works, we should be able to determine very quickly its efficacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been the frustrating piece is just why can't we give it a shot? Ask You're the question, hashtag, right? How bureaucracy <laughs> works, huh? <laughs> you know, and uh, and the, the thing that really is at the heart of our work is it's, in many cases, a mixture of bureaucracy, 
digital literacy and shame mm-hmm. that keep people disconnected. Mm-hmm. I mean, this these are the people that are falling through the cracks. These are the people who are not eligible for the housing. And even when it's built 10 years from now, maybe not won't be here. And yet they have families that are reaching out to us every day. We owe it to these individuals to do our best to treat them humanely and as our neighbors today, whether they go home or not. Mm-hmm. You know, we're never prescriptive. If they want to go home, if they have someone to go home to, great. If they live here, let's try to incorporate them as part of our community because mm-hmm. what's right now, the status quo is just not working. No. So. What do you think, um, you've gotten a good look at how City Hall is handling this crisis of people living on the streets. What do you think City Hall is doing right and what do you think they're doing wrong in terms of homelessness? Well, I think there, there's a lot of uh, fresh energy with you know Mayor Breed coming into office. I've so delighted to see that she's out on the streets talking to people, right? Like that, that encapsulates so much, uh, just being out, having conversations and experiencing what actually is happening. Um, you know, I think the navigation centers seem to have been pretty successful. Um, you know, I think there's been, uh, you know, a growing conversation with Prop C coming out. And I, I love the fact that even if the mayor wasn't on board with Prop C, now that it's passed, is really trying to push it through and get that money released. I mean, we're working with folks who, uh, you know, are saying, like, look, I, I wouldn't mind getting into a shelter bed you know, Carol, as an example, mm-hmm. when it's a 1,200 person wait list and the only option to her is to be at, you know, uh, a woman's place for 24 hours on a chair. And then whether she's able to get into a 90 day bed or not is a, a big question mark. That doesn't just have, you know, ramifications for um, how many people are on or off the streets. That that breaches trust. Mm-hmm. That breaches um feeling that you're can can rely on a group to hold you right. And that's why with our work, we're trying to rebuild that trust. And we go to people and we say, look, we don't know how people are going to respond. We don't know if we're going to find them. We can't fix relationships that are unfixable. If they don't want to reconnect, that's their decision. We're going to honor it, but we're going to do our best to honor your trust. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to mean we're not going to drop the case. You know, we've had cases sometimes that get slipped out of our system. We'll go try to find that person again and gather all that information. So I just think uh, what the city has done well is they've, uh, you know, they've doubled down on what's clearly worked with, you know, housing development, with, you know, large commitments, with the navigation centers, with, you know, going out. What I haven't seen is a willingness to have people at the table who are otherwise not at the table coming from outside of the mm-hmm you know, big handful of organizations providing housing and saying, well, what is it that enables your organization to thrive so well, even though we haven't worked with you at all? How Mm -hmm. can we learn from you? What can we do together? And at this point, uh, you know, organizations, you know, whether it's a Lava May, a Downtown Streets team, uh, you know, and and Miracle Messages, I found in in our own experience, it's been a challenge sometimes to try to have a seat at the table and work together to try to, you know, do do right by, you know, the people that we're all wanting to, to help out right now as a city. So they kind of have their set circle and they are not willing to take advice from outside of it? I think there's a presumption that there's 20,000 people that cycle in and out of homelessness every year in San Francisco. You've helped in a good year, 100 people reunite with their loved ones. It's a drop in the bucket. Um, 
why is it worth our time and energy and resources, even if it's not a you know funded thing, but just to collaborate. Because you're not getting city money, right? No, yeah. no. We have a contract with uh, Union Square Bid, the uh-huh. Business Improvement District, and they um, that's our first paid service contract where they're paying us uh, to offer miracle messages in Union Square because they're tired of uh, waiting, you mm-hmm. know, and they say, look, this is affecting our businesses. We have ambassadors in red vests that go out and basically shoo people away. But, you know, that's not building positive interactions with these individuals. They're mm-hmm. getting upset. They're, you know, you know, getting into fights. What would it look like to have a humane approach that shows that we're not just trying to shoo the problem to the next block, mm-hmm. but we're actually saying we want to be part of the solution because this is, you know, this is our city. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a willingness to think outside the box to realize that you have not solved the problem of homelessness. <laughs> um, not by a long shot. No. Yeah. And, uh, and I think getting past this, um, you know, the, the, the bureaucracy and, and any kind of ego and saying, let's look at all solutions mm-hmm. and see what works in what setting and what doesn't work in another. So, yeah. And we just spent some time walking around Union Square and um, Market Street, and I noticed that you can't, you're not capable of passing <laughs> by a homeless people person without stopping yeah, and talking to them. Such um, a great date. You know? <laughs> Don't you want to go out with me and just like, excuse me, uh, let me just talk to this uh, individual for a moment, and you know, maybe the right woman out there will uh, <laughs> will hear this and be be excited by someone who does that. But uh, not all of them. That wasn't where my question. Was. <laughs> I thought that was. This is. I thought this was love line. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what do you think is the biggest misconception that the average San Franciscan has about uh, homeless people? Mm. Well, the, the, the words that I've heard from people on the streets who are struggling with mental illness uh, or d- addiction, um, I think are the most telling here directly, uh, because those are the individuals that we'd probably cite as the worst of the worst, the most dangerous of the most dangerous. And more often than not, we hear people say, um, I w- wish people realize that I was the biggest danger to myself much more th- than to them. Mm. Uh, that people sometimes isolate because they're scared because they feel like they are defined by their worst deeds. Um, I think we have a misconception in San Francisco that people who are homeless or experiencing homelessness are problems to be solved rather than people to be loved. Mm. And it's very hard when you're in a situation where you can't build enough affordable housing, when you just don't have, um, you know, the the units available, when you're not going to anytime soon, when there's a housing crisis affecting the entire region, um, to solve a problem simply by housing, that's fundamentally a human problem. And so I would just encourage people uh, to see people not as problems, but as people, and engage as a result. You know, we get asked all the time, what do I say to someone who's homeless? And a starting point is to say, when you see someone who's homeless compared to someone who's housed, Mm -hmm. how do you interact differently? And if you don't see them as homeless Joe or Jane, but as someone somebody, Mm -hmm. you almost instinctively know how to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll just mention that, you know, I'm a six foot two guy. I am usually pretty confident. I grew up in a small town in Livermore. The first time I met someone on the streets for uh, one of these storytelling projects around homelessness, I was holding my keys in my pocket as a weapon. Mm-hmm. 
right? That was my mindset. And I had an uncle who was homeless for 30 years. So I get it that there's a fear, there's a hesitancy, there's a who is this person. And even if you don't engage and you're trusting your intuition, taking a moment to ask why and where that comes from. Um, and you know, on your way to work, if it's in a public place, maybe taking an extra moment just to have a conversation um, and seeing what happens. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to end, I think. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you so much for joining us and yeah. taking us out this morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Kevin Adler and all of the Miracle Messages crew for coming on our show. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing it. And just so you know, Miracle Messages did send Nato's video to his mom, and she is open to reconnecting with her son. And thanks to all of you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. <laughs>